Please like a seat. It, it's always great when we have uh, friends of uh, HBC come and uh, just worship with us and lead us in the word. So we just want to say welcome, Monks and Angie. It's really good to see you. Angie's going to lead us in our scripture reading now, and then Monks is going to follow on. Thank you. Uh, the reading is found in Luke chapter 17. <clears throat> One day, the Pharisees asked Jesus, when will the kingdom of God begin? Jesus replied, the kingdom of God isn't ushered in with visible signs, and you won't be able to say it's begun in this place or in that part of the country. For the kingdom of God is within you. Later, he talked about this to his disciples. The time is coming when you will long for me to be with you, even for one single day. But I won't be here, he said. Reports will reach you that I have returned and that I'm in this place or that. Don't believe it, and don't go looking for me. For when I return, you will know. You will know beyond all doubt. It will be as evident as the lightning flashing across the sky. But first, but first I must suffer terribly and be rejected by this whole nation. When I return, though, the world will be as indifferent to the things of God as the people were in the days of Noah. Then they ate and they drank and they got married, everything just as usual, right up to the day when Noah went into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them and the world will be as it was in the days of Lot. People went about their daily business, eating and drinking and buying and selling and farming and building until the morning that Lot left Sodom. Then fire and brimstone rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. Yes, it will be business as usual right up to the hour of my return. Those away from home on that day must not return to pack. And those out in the fields on that day must not return to the town. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever clings to his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life will save him. This is the word. Thank you for your welcome. We honour you hear me in coming through. It's lovely to be with you again. Uh, thank you. Thank you for your, for your welcome. 
Angie and I are involved and Ben in something called the filling station. Some of you might know of it. And uh, we've got a meeting coming up on March the 9th. And uh, that meeting, we want to share with you something of what is happening, what God is doing in Africa in these days. And it's something which I believe that God is planning to do in this country, indeed in other countries around the world. So this morning, I want to share with you how we prepare for a move of God, how we prepare for a move of God in a special way. And the place to start is by remembering Lot's wife. Okay. I'll say that again. By remembering Lot's wife. There we go. Okay, we're off. So Jesus, as Angie was reading to us, uh, was in discussion with the Pharisees and his disciples about his resurrection and particularly his second coming. And then in the middle of this end time seminar, Jesus speaks the second shortest verse in the Bible, Luke 17, 32, remember Lot's wife. Now you might know there are about 170 <coughs> women mentioned in the Bible. So you might have thought that Jesus would have said, remember Eve, as she was the first woman to inhabit the earth. Or remember Sarah, Abraham's wife, who gave birth at the age of 90. Or remember Queen Esther, the Jewess who pleaded for the safety of her people, even if it resulted in her death. Or maybe remember Deborah, a warrior, a poet and a prophet and the only female judge to leave Israel, or maybe remember his mother who nurtured and raised him, or maybe remember Mary Magdalene, the first person to witness the risen Christ, or maybe remember Lydia, the first recorded convert to Christianity in Europe. But no, Jesus chooses to focus the thoughts of his disciples on Lot's wife, a woman whose name is never revealed because he wants to teach them and us that looking back can have significant detrimental consequences. I'm sure you recall the story in Genesis 12 where God says to Abraham, leave your own country and go to Canaan to leave his past behind and embrace the challenge of something new, to accept that if Abraham wanted to be in the centre of God's will, he needed to be flexible. For Abraham to understand that to gain what God was planning for him, he needed to sacrifice what he already had. On the journey, Abraham and his nephew Lot travel together, but as they become wealthy and their families grow, they separate. And Lot decides to make his home in the Jordan Valley near Sodom and Gomorrah, two godless, immoral cities. And because of their sin and unrepentance, God destroys destroy both cities. And to ensure that Lot and his family are saved, he sends two angels to tell them to flee for their lives and not to look back. 
However, as they're making their escape, Lot's wife turns around, fixes her gaze on the destruction of the cities and instantly becomes a pillar of salt. So here was a woman who had a godly husband, a woman whose hand had been seized by the angel as he led them to safety, a woman who knew all about God's mercy yet chose to disobey his specific command. A woman, if we want to make the story relevant to our time, who had attended church and gone through the motions of belief, yet at the end of the day, the world was still in her heart and her heart was still in the world. She was a woman torn between where God was taking her and what she was leaving, a woman attached to a place she was only meant to be passing through, a woman focused on looking back instead of concentrating on the purpose and provision of God, a woman yearning for what she'd known, which outweighed her commitment to what lay ahead, a woman who was hanging on to her security rather than placing her trust in the one who created her, a woman, I guess I don't want to be sexist this morning, that applies to men as well, who had divided loyalties. But Lot's wife isn't the only Bible character with divided loyalties. Joab was the captain of King David's army, but when David was on his deathbed, Joab plotted to install another king instead of Solomon. Gehazi was Elijah's servant, but he loved money more than God. Demas was Paul's chosen companion, but in 2 Timothy, Paul writes, Demas has left me. He loved the good things of this life and went to Thessalonica. Judas was one of Jesus' disciples, but Judas betrayed him. You know, we too can have divided loyalties because it's easy to stay attached to the comfortable situation we are in, to be anaesthetized by the routine, to be stuck in our bitterness, in our unforgiveness, our illness, our disillusionment, our apathy, our indifference, our past mistakes or past glories, our wealth or lack of it. You know, the only thing we have to do to drift away from God is to stay where we are. Because if we're not moving forward with Jesus, in other words, going deeper in our Christian life, month by month, year by year, we are spiritually stagnating. You know, certainly the past is important. We can learn upon it. We can build upon it. But our past should not hold us back to such an extent that it compromises our future. Paul writes to the Philippians, Dear brothers, I'm still not all I should be, but I'm bringing all my energies to bear on this one thing, leaving the past behind and looking forward to what lies ahead. I strain 
to reach the end of the race and receive the prize for which God is calling us up to heaven because of what Jesus Christ did for us. Push on, says Paul. Don't rest on your laurels. Don't allow the spiritual grass to grow under your feet. However, if we will want to move forward with God, we need to grasp what God is saying to us in the present. Frequently in the Gospels, Jesus uses the phrase, he who has ears to hear. As often people listened to his words, but didn't respond to his message because it was inconvenient or outside their comfort zone. But you know, if we this morning as Christians desire to know where God is leading us into the future, our prayer response needs to be, Lord, the answer is yes. Now what's the question? Lord, the answer is yes. Now what's the question? In John 20, 27, Jesus says, my sheep recognize my voice i know them and they follow me you know the good shepherds want his wants his sheep to listen with obedient attention so that he can take them into new pastures and when the shepherd's voice is familiar because the sheep have an intimate connection with him there is no Reluctance, just willing expectation and enthusiasm to move on. I wonder how many times during the uh, COVID pandemic you heard folks say, I can't wait to get back to normal, to restore things to how they were to reinstate what was in place before, to return to the familiar, to put on the church front door a sign saying, do not disturb. There's a story told of a vicar who attended an art exhibition and he asked one of the artists what his specialism was and the artist replied, oh, I paint still life. So the vicar said to him, perhaps you could come and paint my congregation. <laughs> it hasn't moved for years. You see, this morning, God is the God of the new normal, the God who dwells in history, but doesn't dwell on history. The God who leads us into new projects, new ways of living. The God who wants us to live out the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.17, when someone becomes a Christian, they become a brand new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. Now, of course, we can either personally or corporately remain where we are and hanker after what's gone. 
be so caught up in doing the same thing that we miss out on doing the right thing. To be so content with our inertia that we don't even realize the Holy Spirit has left and gone elsewhere. To be so concerned that leaving behind the past will come at a cost. We ignore God's claim on our lives. Some of you might know about the Walsh Revival of 1904 to 1906. Many of those who were transformed by God during that revival became missionaries and a number went to India to preach the gospel. Often they met with uh, strong resistance from the Hindu majority. However, one man named Nok Seng and his wife and two sons gave their lives to Christ. And Nok Seng's faith, Christian faith, was so contagious, many of his neighbours believed. And consequently, he was told by the village chief that if he did not renounce his faith, he and his family would be killed. But moved by the Holy Spirit, Noxeng said, I have decided to follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. At which point, archers fired arrows into his two sons. The village chief then said, you have lost your two sons. If you don't deny your faith, you will lose your wife. And Noxeng replied, though no one joins me, I still will follow. At which point archers fired arrows into his wife. The village chief then said, you've lost your wife and your two sons. If you don't deny your faith, you too will be executed. Noxeng replied, the cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back. At which point, archers fired arrows in his body. And as Noxeng lay dying, the village chief was so moved by his witness that in a spontaneous confession of faith, he declared, I belong to Jesus Christ, at which point the whole village accepted Jesus as their saviour. Some years later, a melody was added to Noxen's words, which came again, I have decided Follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. You see, following Jesus is all or nothing. You can't have one foot in the world and one foot in God's kingdom. When we leave the past behind, we lay down our past, our present, and our future and allow Him to lead us wherever he chooses. In Mark 1, 
We read these words. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, his brother Andrew, casting a net into the lake. For they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And at once they left their nets and followed him. These two, along with the other ten disciples, stepped out in faith, although they no idea where they were going. However, you remember the story in Matthew 8, when Jesus, having gathered together his disciples, says to him, to them, let's cross to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. But soon a storm blows up, and they all think they're going to drown. But they don't drown. And when they arrive on the other side, two demon-possessed men come running towards them, screaming and shouting. And I wonder if at this point the disciples looked at each other and said to themselves, I wonder what we've signed ourselves up for. <laughs> I wonder if you have that sort of thought every now and then. You want to follow Jesus. You've stepped out in faith. And suddenly the storms appear and you're thinking to yourself, I wonder what on earth I've signed up for. At the back of the East Anglian Daily Times, there are often adverts for cruises with the itinerary clearly programmed so you know exactly where you're visiting day by day. The bad news is, for those who follow Jesus, there is no itinerary. There is just a destination. <laughs> Part of becoming a disciple of Jesus involves repentance, which comes from the Hebrew word teshuba, a word which derives from the verb to return. So, although repentance is about more than saying sorry for our sins in our mind, although remorse is beneficial, repentance is rather a decision to turn away from where we were heading and turning towards God, to turn away from the darkness of sin towards the light of God's forgiveness, to surrender our will to God, which leads to a change of conduct. In other words, to leave behind the person we were and allow God to transform us into the person he wants us to be. You know, we live in a world today that loves a bit of nostalgia, a bit of retro a world that often talks about the good old days. I had a milestone birthday last year. And yes, I know I don't look 30, but you know, that's, that's fine. And it was lovely just reflecting on those experiences and people who have contributed to make me the person that I am today. Angie even brought me a record player so I could get out my vinyl LPs and uh, enjoy all those songs that come from years 
10 years ago, but it would be wrong of me not to be excited today about what God has in store for me, not only today, but tomorrow as he acts in his time to refine me. You know, someone once said, dear past, thank you for your lessons. Dear future, I'm ready. Dear God, thank you for another opportunity. But leaving the past behind requires courage. Just before Joshua led the Israelites into the promised land, God said to him, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land. I swore to their forefathers, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or discouraged because the Lord, your God, will be with you wherever you go. You know, if we're going to seriously leave the past behind, we need the courage to become adaptive and malleable. To be those who can say, I'm not where I want to be. But thankfully, I'm not where I was. Be those willing to have their expectations raised. To be those who yearn to be in tune with the Holy Spirit. To be those who are bold and brave and bendable. In Luke 5, Jesus said, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. For the new wine bursts the old skins, spilling the wine. New wine must be put into new wineskins. Fermented drinks like wine expand, and old wineskins that are hard and rigid burst open. Whereas new wineskins stretch to accommodate the fermentation. If we both personally and corporately are to be the vessels God uses as he pours out the new wine of his Holy Spirit, we too need to stop looking back and by so doing become bendable and willing to embrace alteration. You know, it said there are three types of Christian. Those in the centre of what God is doing. Those on the outside looking in at what God is doing. And those who have no idea what God is doing. So my prayer this morning for myself indeed for all of us, as that we might be those who want to be at the centre of what God is doing, at the centre.
centre of what God is doing, not looking in on the outside, not having no idea what God is doing, but being at the centre of what God is going to do in the days ahead as he pours out the new wine of his spirit. Those who are at the centre of what God is doing in the coming days not those who look back on the past. However good or bad the past might have been, but those who are wanting to move on with God into all that he has for each one of us days ahead. pray for a moment or two just be quiet stay seated just reflect for a moment on all that we've heard thus far this morning all that God is saying to us in these days to sing the closing hymn shortly and Gary's going to do a blessing. Father, this morning we would say that we want to follow you wherever you will lead us. We thank you that you are alive well, that you are king, that you are moving that your Holy Spirit is being poured out in Africa, particularly at this moment, but in other places as well. Lord, we want that move of the Holy Spirit to come into our nation, to come into our community, to come into our lives. Father, we need you in these days, particularly in the United Kingdom. Father, we want to be a part of what you are doing. But Lord, we know that that involves being brave and courageous and being willing not to look back, to dwell on the past. Thank you that you're a God who does new things. And Lord, we want to be a part of those new things that you're wanting to do in the days ahead. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay.